For some reason, I'm compelled to say, another week, another massacre. Uh, only, in, only in America we have such a thing. But uh, rather than dwell, as I'm sure many, many of us have been on the, on the unspeakable heartache and pain that comes with, with any kind of loss, uh, but especially loss of young people and just the knowing that you can exponentially magnify that to include so many beings who are, who are killed uh, with guns and, or through some, through ill will or confusion or greed, that just we could, we could become quite overwhelmed. Uh, and to the degree that we ultimately make our well-being our deepest desire to be happy and well, to be at peace, if we make that peace, well-being, and happiness dependent on conditions being the way we want them to be, we will remain in a state of suspended happiness, suspended peace. We will be, we will wander a long, long, long time in waiting. And I just think it's useful to remember, if it's possible, that it is, that it is possible to experience, to know, to be at peace, independent of circumstances. It's a, a slight turn of the mind, a slight turn of attention. And it's not even a turn. It's a moment of remembering where you are, what you're experiencing, the fact that you are aware of what you're experiencing. It takes only a moment as Dana Falls, I think, she says, it takes only a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still. And just like that, something inside me settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and I remember again that life isn't a relay race, that we'll all cross the finish line. That waking up to life is what we are born for. As many times as I forget to catch myself charging forward without ever knowing where I'm going, that many times I can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and be, and walk slowly into the mystery. This, little, this slight turning, stopping, that's not really a turning and it's not really a stopping, it's just a moment of remembering that you are aware, that you are here, 
that in that moment you are not definable by any story that has been playing in your mind, by any situation that has been happening in the world or will happen, that in that moment of remembering, peace is there. Open, inviting, comfortable. Sometimes called an open secret. It's there. It's you, as you are. Independent of circumstances. But it's called an open secret because we miss it. And it is really a matter of of intention, of choice, to, um, you could say, train your, train your attention to, to stop, to notice, to relate to what you're experiencing rather than be, being lost in it, rather than being caught up in it. And of course, once you stop, you will See, and I use the words during the sitting tonight, you will be visited by. You will be visited by all of the, um, all of the conditioning that, you've been, that you have been both um, collectively and individually practicing. You will be, you will see for yourself where it is that your mind usually goes in search of home, peace, ease. The way the Buddha talked about it, the place that our mind usually goes in search of peace is one, to a state of craving, or what's next. Usually some kind of craving for some kind of pleasure. So natural, we want to find relief and we were, our mind has the habit because we've experienced some pleasure when we satisfy our senses for a moment. We begin to believe innocently that seeking pleasure is going to bring relief, not remembering, not recognizing, out of ignorance. Doesn't mean you're an ignorant person, it just means you, we all have confusion, but out of ignorance we don't recognize that going in search of pleasure to relieve our stress, to find home, gives a very, very, very short moment of pleasure, and then that pleasure is followed by the fading of pleasure and by the condition to want more, the condition of dissatisfaction, the condition of then the present moment, the only moment that we actually have, turning into a place of dissatisfaction. This is what happens where, when we practice frequently, when our mind frequently dwells on what I can have or do or where I can go, what I can get, what kind of experience I can have. If we rely on that for, 
for a place of peace. The Buddha called it misplaced faith that we put in the pleasure of the senses. The other place that our mind tends to go, just because there is the, the stress of existence, there is, if we're here, there is a, a certain measure of unpleasant experiences, things that are really hard to be with. We could, like I said, we could go through the litany of, of pains in this world. But what our mind often does as a practice, it either goes out in search for pleasure or it rails against what's unpleasant. It, it gets mad, it gets angry, it gets frustrated, it gets um, agitated. So it either goes into a state of grasping or in a state of aversion. Both of these states, getting mad, trying to get even, planning our revenge with somebody who harmed you, or, or just thinking about how right you are and how wrong they are, all that does is build, a, build the identity of, of rightness and then just feeds the identity of wrongness in someone else. It otherizes, and it has not made anybody, it's not given anybody peace. And in either case, what we've often practiced is our mind then associating well-being, peace, and ease with how things turn out. Whether I get what I want or get rid of what I don't want. That method of finding relief, associating relief with how things turn out at some other time, puts the mind in a state of, like I said before, suspended happiness, but it puts it it conditions a very strong habit of worry, of not knowing, of fear that things may not turn out. So worry and fear and the agitation that goes with that, the tension, the sense of being frozen in fear and worry about how things turn out, that itself very frequently practiced but it hasn't brought anybody peace and ease. This is what we notice when we stop. So this is the first of the three hindrances. And then, of course, we notice the deep exhaustion from constantly running from silence. That's what we call sloth and torpor, dullness of mind. And then, having failed so miserably by following the maniacal confusion of a mind that doesn't see the, the, um, the unreliable uh, methodology, the misplaced faith that we put in future, in pleasure, in getting rid of pain. The effect of, of doing all that is we start feeling really not so hopeful, not so good about things. We feel kind of... Um, contracted, deflated with doubt. And, and this doubt tends to, once, once we are weakened with dullness and doubt, our mind tends to then be filled with a view of reality that there's something wrong with me. And something wrong with the whole world and something wrong with 
with, um, yeah, particularly something's wrong, something's wrong with me. And then it just reinforces an experience of ourselves as somehow flawed. So this is what we'll discover. But the beauty of this discovery, if we make that slight turn, that slight stopping, is we can recognize. We can wake up to recognize instead of following the wanting mind to to this kind of endless wandering, this samsara, this constant search, instead of following that wanting mind, we notice the wanting mind. And we see that the noticing of the wanting mind is not wanting. The noticing of the wanting mind is free, is at peace. We can see the notice, we can see the aversive mind, notice the aversive mind, the angry mind, we can start to relate to anger instead of relating from it. And we can see that the mind that knows anger is not angry. The mind that knows desire is not desiring. It is that quality of awareness, of simple awareness, which is naturally clear, open, unbound, free, never ever having been altered, even a hair, ever available, ever present, but easily forgotten. So we first have to remember this. And it may also be helpful to infuse into our mind stream a remembering. Part of our remembering is a desire for peace. It helps to remember that that's what our aim is. Our aim is home, is peace, is relief. And then to do that little turning, be aware, and then relax. And I ask you, as I often do on Tuesday, notice what happens when you intend, you aim for peace, you stop, you sense that you're aware, and then you relax. Sounds simplistic, doesn't it? Well, just think how, you no- how we normally practice. You know, I talked about the basic hindrances that we tend to practice, but I would say in general, we get up and go from a kind of un- unstructured state of, of nobodiness. We come into awareness in the morning, and what do we immediately do? We go from this kind of unconstructed openness to the coffee pot. So we go from from emptiness to nervousness in the first half hour. And And then we practice all day long, as Amy Krauss Rosenthal says, 
We practice defining ourselves all day by busyness. How have you been? Good, busy. You name the question, busy's the answer. He says, I know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things. But busy, as she says, is the most common knee-jerk response. And she says it's because, the reason I mentioned coffee, she says it's because of the advent of coffee bars and coffee's luscious byproduct, productivity, the joy of doing, accomplishing, crossing off. She says as kids, when somebody would say, how are you doing, or what'd you learn at school today, the kids would say, nothing. And she thinks that the word nothing's being wasted on the young. We need to reintroduce it into our grown-up vernacular. 